What's up, guys? So we are back again in a new spot once again. <laughs> so I'm in a bunker. Right. This time I'm in a legitimate bunker. <laughs> right. So uh, hopefully the lighting's all good for you guys. Yeah. Uh, just to start out, make sure you like, share, comment, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And uh, make sure uh, you check out the website, eigenbros.com, eigenbros on Instagram, eigenbros on Twitter, um, Eigenbros2 on TikTok. And then, once again, thank you, patrons. We greatly appreciate the support, guys. Um, you know, we couldn't do it without you here, you know, helping donate to the show. And if you are interested in checking us out and becoming a patron yourself, just go to patreon.com slash Eigenbros, and me and Juan do a 30-minute audio podcast there every week. And we've also got the uh, official Discord up there now, too. So if you guys want to just have conversations and give us, you know, podcast guest recommendations and whatnot, yeah. go check it out. So, and yeah. I think that's all we got to do with the, with the uh, beginning stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, get to the topic. Yeah, the topic at hand, quantum information. Indeed. The beast. <laughs> um, yeah, one I've been avoiding for a long time. Yeah, well, we've been avoiding for a long time because, not for nothing, this is a, it's a modern topic. Yeah, you which know? always means that you're going to have to piece together a lot of the information yourself to get anything really valuable. <laughs> yeah, so like as most of you fans know, we kind of pull from various resources because it's, it's a long format show. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we use a lot of uh, resources that are out there. We're, we're kind of we kind of serve as a as a guiding hand. Sure. For for some of these <laughs> topics, for a lot of you. Right. You know, something that you can take away. Hopefully, that's gonna. Yeah. You know elucidate something new at yeah least. like if you're like yeah because I, I think there are some misconceptions about what sometimes what the what the po- what we do here at the podcast is there <laughs> i think so there was a comment i read somebody was like yeah you guys do you guys just look stuff up that i can look up <laughs> really i didn't even see that <laughs> and i was like i was like uh i was in my head i was like well yeah, yeah i mean anybody could look anything up <laughs> <laughs> well i try to make it so that we give some at least some uh you know no, something yeah. new. No, it's same here. Like I, I, I want the listeners to walk away with some kind of like, okay, that either I walked away asking more questions. Because mm-hmm. think about it, the 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 whole point of a question, part of it is like you you're going on a quest. That's part. You can't True. spell question without quest. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Deep. <laughs> That's something to think about. But you you really it's to kind of motivate you to seek answers. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I mean, a lot of this is kind of an introductory thing, but me and Terrence are, are interested in like turning a lot of the big concepts like quantum, inf- uh, quantum, uh, field theory yep, into a yep. whole series. And then the same with quantum information. There's just so much to cover. Right. And these concepts are so intricate that they might be better served as like a whole, yeah, a whole series. Right? Maybe, maybe yeah. we'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> time, time definitely will tell. I don't like to overpromise, but we'll no, see. for sure. But, like like I said again, uh, uh, a hope, maybe a distant one, but <laughs> right. still a hope. Uh, but I did kind of want to consolidate some things that that we uh, we kind of figured out. Quantum information, just getting right into it, um, is like I said, well, like we're saying, a modern theory, but it has its roots in like kind of something. Uh, that we're familiar here with, like as physicists, it's it's the EPR paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, Einstein, how do you pronounce his name? Podolsky. Podolsky. And Rosen. Rosen. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> very famous uh, for also their 
that's kind of like a super team if you think about it. Right. Like a, well, all those guys are like super team back then. It was crazy the level of, you know, smart people back in those days with the whole you know Solway uh, picture. You're just right. like, God damn, they all existed at the same time. Yeah. It, <laughs> if, if you're a sports fan, this is kind of like the the basketball equivalent of the dream team. Pretty much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's like everybody. The that MJ you, era, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like Einstein is the obviously the MJ. Michael, yeah. Michael Jordan. Yeah. And uh, world famous in a similar way. He put phys- he really put physics on the map for a lot mm-hmm. of people. And a and lot then of he ways. He also had like Dirac. That's true. And like Heisenberg and Bohr and like. Von Neumann. Yeah. Right? I think like, he was there too. Right. Uh, it's like Curie, damn. Curie was there too. Yep. Curie. It's like, God <laughs> All damn. the big names in modern right. <laughs> science. Insane. Yeah. Like you don't have that relevancy today because I guess like. And, and maybe this is another question for another time, but yeah, like it, it kind of digs deeper into like, why don't we, what's up with our scientists today? Like, why don't we have these kind of like, well, I think also today is a little bit different because theoretical physics is so hard right now mm-hmm. that we're like pushed up against the wall. Mm-hmm. And then the only like real innovative stuff right now that's happening um, is like real, like super bleeding edge experimental physics is like these really giant, you know, experiments like the LHC like accelerators and whatnot yeah. so it's like things have just gotten so hard I think but the nice thing is I think physics is becoming more communi- communal or something you should say yeah um, where it's like a lot more physicists are coming you know and it's less like the lone wolf yeah. now which I think it's better honestly <clears throat> me too yeah I, I, my, my take on this is that I think it's just because we haven't had another subject like quantum mechanics kind of rear its head well I mean I guess like like in, in in this kind of burgeoning way, like the quantum mechanics is like foundational, yeah, stuff. I, I don't think we've had a field like that in a very kind of like a new branch of physics, yeah, right. Mm, I'd say all, maybe computational in some sense, okay, because computers are so like, I mean, modern. It's, it's like it's related yeah, to the topic, right? Top, yeah, yeah. So is, it's like computers are so um so promising and have so much uh you know have so much um what would you say potential mm-hmm. with doing physics it's like that's a real big frontier i think mm-hmm. because we can do so many new computational tools now and then like we're talking about today quantum computing i mean the problems that will be able to, that we will be able to solve potentially i think are really numerous and i don't think we even have any idea how big it's going to be when it actually um hits yeah no for sure and this is kind of why einstein is the michael jordan yeah. Of physics because Why is that? Einstein is kind of the person that like literally got the ball rolling on a lot of different things and quantum information being one of them. Really? Because he, he was he was debating in the EPR um, uh, paper. Mm-hmm. He was debating about entanglement. He, he didn't trust it. He, he had this fundamental f- what I think uh, one of the physicists was saying he called the c- they said Einstein had a philosophical prejudice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because it, uh, uh, it defies intuition, and Einstein is the god of intuition, right? Yeah. And uh, for those of you that aren't in the know, um, you know, Einstein and Bohr had a dispute about the interpretation of quantum states, especially like entanglement mm-hmm. uh, or entangled states, which have this non-local, uh, what people would say, statistical correlations 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like entanglement. Essentially. Spooky action <laughs> as a di- at a distance is what they call it. <laughs> exactly. That That's kind of the colloquial way uh, uh, that you put it. But in more technical terms, it's non-local um, statistical correlations for space-like separated systems. And like what I mean by space-like is essentially light can't, you can't signal, you can't send a signal there faster than the speed of light. Yeah. Essentially. So particle A and particle B exist in the universe. Particle A can only interact in its local region, which would mm-hmm. be just a radius the size of the speed of light. Yeah. Of course, it can propagate, but it's going to take time to get to particle B before yeah. it influences it. Exactly, yeah. So things that can influence particle, if, if particle A can influence particle B in some kind of way that's outside of that region that's the size of the speed of light um, or the length of the speed of light distance, you could say, a light, a light whatever mm-hmm. distance, um, then that would be non-local. Yeah, if it can influence it outside of that, yeah, radius. Yeah, for sure. And Einstein did not like this entanglement stuff. He didn't yeah. like the spooky action stuff. Right. Um, With good reason, for sure. Sure. Yeah. And and I mean this, but th- this kind of thought experiment kind of drove other physicists to reply, mm-hmm. because like a lot of this was swept under the rug in a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. people didn't want to deal with the philosophical implications, let alone let alone phys- philosophical implications. But also the the physics, the physical implications. Yeah. Um, you know, Einstein took the position that quantum mechanics is is incomplete. It's, it's mm-hmm. we, we there's something we don't know that's giving us this stuff, and um, and yeah. So this 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 discomfort led uh, I think Schrodinger, funny enough, to reply. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this, but Schrodinger was actually the person that coined the term entanglement oh i didn't know that yeah either. yeah um especially like especially the way we use it today he he the way he put it was just uh i think i have a quote here um he said entanglement he wrote a whole paragraph and mm-hmm. i'll put it up for the listeners here he said in 1935 when two systems of which we know the state's by their respective representatives, enter into temporary physical interaction due to known forces between them. By the way, run-on sentence is like a mother. <laughs> <laughs> and when after a time of mutual influence, the systems separate again, still a run-on sentence, then they can no longer be described in the same way as before, vis-a-vis by endowing each of them with a representative of its own. That's a whole sentence. That guy just made a whole sentence there. Physicists are not the best writers all the time. We'll just say that. <laughs> he said, I would not call that one, but that one, but rather the characteristic trait of quantum mechanics, the one that enforces this entire departure from classical lines of thought, the interaction by the interaction of the two representatives, the quantum states where they have become entangled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a, a little verbose and a little bit yeah. kind of messy, but he says all that to kind of say that um that entanglement is the characteristic trait of quantum theory. Um that enforces its its departure from classical right. physics. And this is something that at least for me coming into grad school, I think was an enlightening thing because I think my professor also was like one of our professors, I think, said, what makes the fundamental feature of quantum mechanics a deviate from that? And he said entanglement. Do you remember this? No, but no? that was definitely something that was answered for me in graduate school. I don't remember when, but mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's something that I didn't really internalize up until, you know, we got to the the part about uh, Bell. And this yeah. is something we did uh, last episode about uh, delayed choice, but Bell's... Well, three episodes ago, Three episodes ago, yeah. yeah, yeah. So John Bell, Bell did an analysis... Uh, kind of testing this EPR paper or replying to this mm-hmm. EPR paper, if you think about it, this was almost 30 years after that EPR paper came out. Like, he, he replied in 1964. Wow. A rebuttal. Yeah. Yeah. And this 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 kind of blew, like, the lid on... on Hidden variables yeah. and all these other, like, weird... Trying to trying to you know trying to make it classical or trying to put these classical interpretations on quantum yeah. mechanics, yeah, that's when you really realize that oh, quantum mechanics truly is its own like, yeah, it it truly is. This is the fundamental state. Yeah, like separability and locality. These these uh, these physical concepts in our realm that seem like reality. Yeah, it Bell's inequality test showed if you two if you put two parameters, um what it would say um two quantum mechanical parameters together and try to test them they're incompatible with certain quantum statistical uh correlations so yeah you, you, that? no i don't <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's going to be its own video but we actually did a video on this already so you can go okay. look at that on we, bell bells inequality yeah we yeah. did it's, an old one i don't know if it's good though so yeah another qual <laughs> <Disclaimer>. <laughs> qualifier and disclaimer <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm not sure. That was a long time ago. Yeah, so, so long ago. I don't remember so anymore. If, but if you want to go look at that, because um, that really does require its own, yeah, its own episode. But yeah, um, but the idea of like separability, separate—that's the word that I'm looking for. Separability. Yes. Yeah. Because um, because we often see ourselves integrated into. Um, Oh, we in science, I guess we don't see ourselves um, integrated into the experiment. Right, you know what I'm right, saying. Right. Um, or with quantum mechanics, it's kind of a fundamental part of the theory. It's like it's finally building in the the people and the and the apparatus that measure these things mm-hmm. into the system. Yeah. Now they're they're now they're inextricably, inextricably linked in some fashion. Yeah, like we we constant we have this like sort of detached observer kind of yeah. perspective with, that, classical, with systems, classical systems for yeah. sure um but yeah all these concepts got kind of flipped in their head after bell introduced this uh this sort of stress test of locality and mm-hmm. and uh and causality like these these things didn't really apply in quantum systems and that kind of like shook the physics world yeah but, but this this in particular in, in the in the bell test they they do stress entanglement like entanglement is a huge part of this mm-hmm. this uh this feature and and building off of that um there were later experiments uh, in the 80s um confirming uh, the sort of non-classical correlations um and excluded any sort of like physically plausible non-super like non-faster than the speed of light yeah um classical communication between these like separated uh, setups Mm -hmm. but yeah anyway it wasn't until later um, that you get like other physicists um, kind of thinking more about the applications like 
they were like thinking like, okay, how, how can we, how can we exploit these features of like the measurement process mm-hmm. um, to kind of like have some kind of communication between people, right? Yeah. And this is where like uh, we get the kind of like the first test of like cryptography, like quantum cryptography a little bit. Oh, would you consider that um, yeah, sophisticated because, enough to call it that? Well, because they like two scientists were trying to figure out ways to communicate to each other. Okay. And they started think, trying to put thought thought experiments together, mm-hmm. and saying like, well, if I send, if I give you a particle, yeah. Sorry, if we, let's say we have two photons mm-hmm. that are entangled, mm-hmm. and you have one and I have one, right? They start thinking about well, like, how can we create? How can I transfer information to you that isn't like going to break the laws that we know? And like what kind of features would we have if we're able to communicate information to one another? Mm-hmm. And so they came to, I think famously, you, you have that like quantum uh, cryptography um, idea. You yep. know what I'm talking about? How you, you how can you can stop eavesdropping right well this is familiar with this, this is called the super um i think it's called the super dense uh protocol or quantum protocol i forget mm-hmm. exactly what it is uh michael nielsen actually has a really good video series on it mm-hmm. called like quantum computing or something or mm-hmm. quantum yeah quantum computing for the determined for the um, determined yeah for the determined it's actually really nice and yeah. well done I, i'm a big fan of michael nielsen's work he mm-hmm. always makes things very easy and explainable yeah we've used his stuff for like the for like the um yang mills um video mm-hmm. so yeah i would definitely recommend checking out that series yeah 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 they, they do. I even that's even the video i sent uh to you for this podcast potentially yeah. if we get any time to gotcha, do it gotcha well maybe we will i don't know because because this th- this opened the door for like how you can have key distribution you know, mm-hmm. where where you have two parties, like say me and Terrence. Um, we share no information. Who's Alice and who's Bob? Alice and Bob, the classic. Uh, <laughs> right. Alice and Bob. Oh, who's Alice and Bob? Yeah. Uh, I'll be Alice. You can be Bob. Okay. <laughs> Mostly because I get to pick first. Alice always gets to go first. So. True, true. <laughs> um, but yeah, Alice and Bob, they share no information, but end up holding a secret random key which can be used to send encrypted messages between two parties. Mm-hmm. Now, this is obviously a thing of interest, mm-hmm. right, to engineers. and But physicists are always at the ground level for a lot of this stuff. So, Right, right. Um, yeah, they started playing around with this. Uh, and you kind of get into a weird uh, concept like quantum teleportation. Right, what some right. people call quantum teleportation, but yeah. teleportation seems like a funny way. Yeah, it's to a very, it's a misnomer for sure. It's like one of these things. It's kind of a little bit misleading because when you think teleportation, you think Star Trek, right? Yeah, you think you're beaming up somewhere, but that's not really what it is. Yeah, you get you. you okay, there's this idea of cloning, and I think I, I brought this up with Terrence, and because there's a no cloning clause mm-hmm. in quantum information, and we can we'll talk about it more later, but. Um, Quantum teleportation is is a is a very important feature to do to even have any kind of information shared. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going into this Alice and Bob like thought experiment, um, you know, Schrodinger posited um, 
because he was the one that kind of played with this idea first. Mm-hmm. He was like, if you have an entangled state that could be, if there was a way that you could steer an entangled state into a different set of known states, does that make sense? Like you and I share a particle that's entangled. Yeah. So we know the available eigenstates. Right? Yes. Yeah. And is there a way that we can steer it into um, a into particular a state? state? Yeah. Yeah. And they figured that out with the super, uh, yeah. super dense coding protocol. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this goes down to, but this, this has its roots in back in the 1930s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, and, and the thought experiment is like as simple as like uh, Alice and Bob, the classic. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. <clears throat> like I was saying, they share Can't two. fail. <laughs> <laughs> they share two entangled photons. Uh, one with Alice and one with Bob, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and like I said, they both know the eigenstates uh, of the entangled pair. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with what eigenstates are, it's sort of the set of common states available to the entangled pair, right? Would you say? Yeah, yeah. You could just say um, because qubits are zero and one mm-hmm. with the with the super dense coding protocol, um, you have two qubits basically. So you have mm-hmm. two. You know, there's the there's the regular bit, and then there's a the quantum bit. I'm not going to keep going over that no, too no, much, yeah, yeah, but no. yeah, most people are aware, I would say. So then you have the two qubits, and they're entangled, and you can s- send one of those qubit uh, states uh, to Alice, and then you send another qubit state to Bob, and then Alice puts that qubit through some series of, or one of these one one of these uh, quantum logic gate transformations. And then she sends the qubit to Bob, and Bob can decode it using his qubits, the two qubits together, and then he can figure out what state was used. So basically, this, the logic gate that Alice used on her end, on her qubit, will tell you some kind of information when yeah. she sends it to Bob. Yeah. And this is like so hopefully that made sense. Michael <laughs> Nielsen has a very good, yeah. thorough video of that. Th- that's that's technic- That's that's kind of the modern uh, application of, like, the thought experiment that Schrodinger had because like his, his was like yeah. much more rudimentary. It's a much simpler toy model. Yeah, sure. Cause he was just like, um, he didn't develop an algorithm or anything. It was yeah. just kind of like, like I was saying, just a thought that he wrote down yeah. in, in response to this EPR paper. But, um, but yeah, so, so with Alice, so, so the way that he was thinking is like, however, if you, if Alice introduces uh, a photon in her system, mm-hmm. um, that she doesn't know, like she doesn't know what the states are accessible uh, to it. So, m- meaning she doesn't know the basis states of the quantity they're trying to measure. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's just say Alice decides to measure the system. Okay. Now, so so technically the Hamiltonian of this particle that Alice has mm-hmm. now includes the entangled photon, the entangled photons, because I'm sharing with Bob, yes. right? Uh huh. Plus, this unknown state of the particle that she introduced, right? I lost you a little bit. Okay, so there. so we we had Alice and Bob. They shared. Yeah. They shared a, a entangled pair. Yep. So you have that in, that Hamiltonian of the system just sure. has the two particles. Sure. Right? Uh huh. The two particle states, but now she introduces a third state in her in her system. Uh, is that that's not what I've. I'm aware of seeing. But this, this is There's no third state. It's just you. It's just she does an operation 
on Th- one that's of the, the mo- yeah that's this is the modern so it's one, not so. change it's not adding a state no like she's introducing another particle in this, okay in this so you're example, gonna have to take that one yeah, away because yeah. i this, don't know anything okay, about in this that. example <laughs> in this example she she decides so she introduces another photon in her system but remember she doesn't know what states are accessible to it she has no information okay. about what she just i have another photon here mm-hmm. boom. so she decides to measure her system but remember that her system is entangled with Bob's particle, right? Okay. Right? So this puts Bob's particle into a state that is in the set of possible states of the measurement. So the act, so when you measure something, and it, it, it basically collapses Bob's photon into a state, right? When she measures yes. it, because uh-huh. they're, they're entangled. Yeah. So this, this, this entangles it and... But, but the thing is, Bob knows how to transform this state, this collapsed state, back into um, the original one. Okay. Through a series of transformations. Now, we know how to do this in physics. I'm going to be honest. I'm getting extremely lost. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, in the abstraction, in the abstraction, like, we know how to do this with the math. Like, you can, tra- you can do a series of transformations. Okay. And get back to the original state, right? Uh-huh. So the idea is that you can essentially uh, Bob can recreate the original system and now have information of the same particle Hamiltonian that was given to Alice. Okay. Or that what that Alice had. Um, mm-hmm. To kind of make sense of this, I'll put this little video up because this was a little bit mind blowing. Because I was like, how how does this uh, what the hell is quantum teleportation? You yeah. Know, how, how do you how does this what the hell does that even mean? Right, right. And uh, and maybe this will help elucidate a little more. Well. Classical teleportation is very easy. I can make a a, a model of an object. I can measure all the dimensions of it. I can measure the the positions of all its components. And I can send that digitally from A to B. And then using, say, some sort of rapid prototyping machine, I can construct a copy of that object. When it comes down to quantum states, there are physical rules which say you cannot copy them. Effectively, if I take a superposition state of a 1 and a 0, I cannot clone that. I cannot make an exact copy. I have to to choose a measurement basis in which to measure it and project it into 1 or 0 state. So I can't get these alpha and beta coefficients. However, we can use this technique of quantum teleportation where effectively we make a joint measurement of this quantum particle with another quantum particle that is entangled remote with a remote quantum particle over here. By measuring what is effectively the difference between this particle and this particle, we get an answer which actually is only one, two, three, or four. And there's one of four possible answers. And we can take one of those four possible answers and perform four possible manipulations on this remote entangled photon to return it to this alpha plus beta superposition state. And that is what teleportation is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean... So did did you see what kind of fucking... how, How confusing that guy was? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty confusing. Quantum mechanics is so confusing. Because then the thing is, people don't don't explain what the coefficients of things are. I can explain what the coefficients of things are because I know yeah, it, but yeah. I can't synthesize all of that because I don't really understand. But the yeah, thing let's is, break let's break this guy's example down. 
Like what yeah. he's trying to say. So he was. So one of the things is they want to capture. I guess one of the main aspects they want to capture is the alpha or the beta, and the alpha mm. and the beta represent that digitally the co- are the coefficients for those quantum states. Mm-hmm. And the quantum states are those vectors in Hilbert space, right? These are all like these abstract terms and whatnot, but who yeah. cares, right? Yeah. Ultimately, alpha and beta represent po- probability distributions. So the zero would be the zero state of the qubit, and the one would be the one state of the qubit. Alpha is, you can, and the thing is, of course, in quantum mechanics, as I'm sure you've heard, they can be in zero and one at the same time. So you can you can range alpha and beta mm-hmm. along this axis of, you know, negative one to one. Right, and then you can even make them complex numbers like i. Yeah. So it can be like it can be you know point eight i if you want it to be. So when you square those coefficients, you get a probability. So you get a probability associated with zero and a probability associated with one. So that means that you can see when you measure that state many over many iterations. Right, you'll eventually get out that specific probability for that state. So yeah. let's say if your probability was point eight for alpha. Or 0.8 for zero. I'll, I'll replace. Um, I'll say 0.8 for alpha, which is uh, uh, on the zero state. I don't remember if that's what he has. In the, okay, the alpha's on yeah. the one state. So yeah, yeah. let's do 0.8 is the number for, or square root of 0.8 is the number for the one state. Mm-hmm. When you square that, you'll get 0.8, which is 80% of the time you'll get a one. Mm-hmm. So. I guess that's what you want to get. That's the information that's valuable in a quantum system. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I don't really want to say much more because I'm not as clear on that. But I guess the utility in that is the fact that you can say, like, if you're trying to understand, um, I guess, uh, uh, if you're trying to understand the probability of some spe- specific system in quantum mechanics, the the um, the information you'll get back is basically that this is going to be a one state 80% of the time, and this is going to mm-hmm. be a zero state 20% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, much more than that, I can't really give much. I was kind of lost in his video. I didn't really. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he did a great job. Like, he, he did, he does, this is a thing, like, he does uh, introduce the setup pretty well. And I don't know why they arbitrarily chose us to do this in two minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy should have spent a little bit more time explaining this. Because the way that Schrodinger kind of portrays it, it, it seems like, a, again, it, maybe Schrodinger's example is a little too much of a toy. Um, okay. But in this... this Oh, was this the same example that we were talking about just earlier? Yeah, but a little bit. Oh, wow. I didn't he seems get to, that at all. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to modify this a little bit. Okay. Because like, like here, I guess, like... At, like Alice and Bob are sharing um, again the 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 entangled pair, yeah. I guess of photons here. Um, I think Michael Nielsen's video is way better. Just <laughs> saying. <laughs> yeah, and and so this this teleportation aspect is essentially you're not necessarily cloning anything because mm-hmm. the no cloning clause says that they have to have a shared. Um, so like, yeah, I just don't understand what's cloning mean in this context. I think like literally, okay, like you know, in classical stuff, yeah. like we we make copies, like we we do clone things, like quite one to one, essentially. Do we though? You don't think so? No, I mean, in what sense? For what? Um, no, it's nothing I can think of. Like if you write the bits, well, I guess like I guess the bits aren't one to one. Because it's no, a recreation guess, of 
of the information. But but I mean, I, I think that seems, I don't know if this is something that's very technical yeah. just yet. It might have more deeper implications because like, okay. as far as I know, the, the no cloning clause, um, yeah, the no cloning clause uh, apparently has to do with uh, it, it. You can't. It's the, the this impossibility of perfectly broadcasting the information contained in an unknown physical state, um, and that's kind of what they mean by no cloning. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, at face value makes sense, but this in this particular example of the quantum teleportation. Uh, the guy doesn't really illustrate that well enough, mm-hmm. um, but like the toy model that Schrodinger gives, I feel like it's kind of illuminating because you can sort of Bob in in the example that I was saying was able to um, sort of access sort of re- by by a series of transformations, ideally unitary. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like you can kind of like go back and forth. You know, sure. Like in, in quantum mechanics, like unitary transformations preserve the uh, what you call it. I'll add it here. I'm just I I'm just gonna it. dub this with uh, <laughs> the actual thing. <laughs> um, but unitary transformations have a lot to do with this because they show what kind of uh, transformations are allowed and which ones aren't, and you can mm. get back to the original state. You know, okay. I mean? there's certain there's certain measurements that are unitary, right? Like you can perform. Yeah. Um. And get back to your original quantum state, right? Sure. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure we're on the same page. But like, there are certain yes, there are certain um, qualifications for certain types of measurement that are said to be unitary, and um, and that's to do with like the mathematical like permission conjugate stuff, all that. Mm-hmm. And um, but anyway, let's not get too much bogged down in the fucking theory because yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah, the the quantum theory is, uh, yeah. <laughs> Talking about quantum mechanics is always a trap. It is, it is, because you got to think about the math. You really got to study math. a lot to synthesize this information. Yeah, and you got to see the and math. And unfortunately, I did not study enough for this one, <laughs> so I hope at least someone will understand at least an iota of something from this. <laughs> no, I think they will. I hope, I hope that this uh, quantum um, transportation uh, video has uh, been illuminating enough. Uh, if not, mm. I can. I'm gonna go ahead and include this other one, but it's a little bit more lengthy. But anyway, um, but what's interesting also is the concept of like this idea of like entropy comes mm. in because entropy, um, as Shannon showed, and this is uh, the physicist, I believe. Uh, no, he wasn't a physicist. He was actually. Just did information theory. Yeah, like a computer guy or something. Yeah, yeah. He showed uh, he showed that information is kind of this more fundamental thing. Um, and damn, was he right? I feel like information theory is like the leading edge of physics in many ways. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. like that's like the untapped nectar that's available to us right now. Like. I feel like some major discoveries are going to start coming about from people really understanding the relationship between information and quantum mechanics. Yeah. Or physical quantities. Like if you remove the physical quantities from like may- maybe we're too materialistic and we've had conversations about this, but as physicists, maybe we're too tied to the materialistic aspects of particles and whatnot. Yeah. And maybe- we're very tied to, and we keep, man, this is so annoying with quantum mechanics is people keep ascribing 
classical intuition of quantum mechanics. Yeah. When you say things like a particle can be in the state of zero and one at the same time, yeah, you're technically right in some sense when you're thinking of it mathematically and trying mm-hmm. to, but you're like invoking this classical intuition on the system that really messes up someone's understanding of the system. Yeah. Quantum mechanics is just in a superposition of states. That's really the baseline of what you can say. Yeah, It's actually more distracting to try to put that f- classical intuition on top of it because you know, your brain doesn't understand what that means because it really isn't like the quantum system at the end of the day is not doing that. It's like you're like thinking backwards in some sense. Yeah. It's like this is the the superposition is the fundamental layer. Yeah. Classical mechanics builds up from that. So you saying that it's in a zero and a one at the same time is misleading, very misleading. Yeah. No, very true. And like the the fact that the fact is that uh, von Neumann actually had a conversation with Shannon about this. Yeah. And he convinced Shannon that um that this was um that what he was trying to talk about was was entropy. Like it, in physics we don't have a real mm. d- definite concept of what entropy is supposed to be, but Shannon kind of created no. this at the time not really like Oh, at the time. At the time we had this kind of like loose concept of what entropy is supposed to be, like okay. blah blah blah, but he he made the connection that information is entropy in some ways like it mm-hmm. looks very you get the same results in a lot of ways and so it, it and the one that really kind of elucidates that is maxwell's demon in some sense i believe right. yeah. because the whole thing with maxwell's demon which was a, a thought experiment in statistics uh, oh, jesus <laughs> statistical mechanics where you know you can kind of separate or you can decrease entropy in this region and people were scratching their heads at how this is possible you know, they had these par- two particle, these two doors, and then you can send, you know, a, a an intelligent demon could just let through the the certain particles that were above a certain energy regime, and then actually decrease the energy in one section of the box. Yeah, and then they were actually saying that some of that, um, some of that entropy gets pushed into the demon itself because he knows something about the information of the state, and that's when you kind of have to re- recognize the information aspect which is where Shannon's entropy comes in, I believe. Yeah, entropy and meaning, yeah. Big asterisk on that because I didn't research that for this, so <laughs> please uh, check, fact check that completely. If uh, Well, no, I mean, that, that example is actually um, really illuminating for, like, uh, f- for what kind of Shannon entropy is and, like, and, and you get meaning from certain things and how that, yeah. that, that is a cost. There's a cost of information there. Yeah, um, it's like there's you're not getting around – you're not decreasing entropy somehow. Uh, there's there's a, there's information. There's like a cost to encoding the information. Yeah, and something decoding. like that. Yeah, there's a cost of inf- information encoding and decoding. But uh, like for instance, I'll give I'll give something that's kind of illuminating and, and hints at something a little bit deeper in the physics. Mm-hmm. This has to do with Shannon entropy and meaning. And mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and play here just just the beginning of it here. Sure. Additive measures to quantify yeah. the change. Once more, we uh, forget to press the play button. And a capacity needed to send messages through electronic telephone lines. And it is often said that Shannon's entropy does not quantify meaning, which is, to some degree, correct in the context of communication theory, because Shannon entropy seems not to care about the meaning of a, of a message or its actual content. In other words, Shannon entropy does not care whether you are trying to send a message such as I'll meet you for lunch on Tuesday 2 p.m., or a possibly random looking number such as 84592646. However, there is another angle to Shannon entropy that suggests exactly the contrary. 
and it is both what makes this measure interesting but also its limitation. Meaning in Shannon entropy is deeply encoded in the form of the underlying assumption. In other words, the context in which a question related to entropy is made. For example, if the number 84592646 in our example is a telephone number, it makes a lot of difference because the underlying ensemble for the entropy measure is over the distribution of not all possible numbers but only the set of valid telephone numbers. So Shannon entropy cannot only distinguish between data if we start from knowing that a sentence is written in English or is a telephone number. So this information makes entropy to care about meaning, but at the same time provides no tools to update the underlying assumptions or seek for that knowledge. We will see later how this is different with algorithmic complexity. Otherwise said, if you have any knowledge of the ensemble for your distribution, then Shannon entropy is all about meaning. For example, the sentence I'll meet you for lunch on Tuesday 2 p.m. only has meaning if you know that this sentence is written in English. So by knowing that this sentence belongs to a subset of well-formed English sentences, then the entropy of the sentence becomes significantly lower than assuming that the string can be in the space of all possible letters and words, for which the entropy would be much larger. The problem with entropy, so to speak, is not that it is unable to convey or capture meaning, but that it is ambiguous and fragile for exactly the same reason related to probability distributions. Because Shannon entropy by itself does not provide any means to estimate the probability distribution, and so it relies in practice on traditional statistics or the observer's beliefs or lack of knowledge. In general, one ends up using a general assumption for the uniform distribution, which makes entropy to become a trivial function of symbol counting. Indeed, if the uniform distribution is assumed, as it is in most cases, what Shannon entropy is measuring is the multiplicity of the different symbols used in a sequence, just as, as it does its counterpart measure of entropy in physics that counts the number of possible microstates, such as particles or molecules in a given volume of space. Leaving those arguments related to meaning and the limitations of entropy aside, there are interesting properties of entropy worth mentioning and studying. For example, one of the general properties of Shannon entropy is that redundancy does not add new information as one would theoretically expect. Once fixed the number of symbols or letters, the greater redundancy, the lower the entropy. For example, repeating the letter E at the end of some words does not provide any new information than the original sentence and as a function of the sequence length. So the entropy drops just as it can be seen. I thought, I thought this was fascinating. Um, yeah, I don't really even know what that means. <laughs> like, like redundancy is, doesn't increase entropy. Um, he said it drops, though. Yeah. Like it How ends does that up, make any sense? I guess because there's more order when there's more redundant, redundancy. Or it looks like there's more order when there's <sighs> more redundancy. I feel like this is too, <laughs> this this is is too deep. deep for me to like even like uh, riff on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if we're going to go here, I'd have to study it's, my but way It's very more. fascinating, right? Like this is just like, wow, okay. Like this, this sort of... Uh, the Shannon entropy. I mean, he's right. Like Shannon entropy doesn't say anything about um, 
sort of ascribing meaning to any of it, right? It's just like mm-hmm. you, you're just kind of given an ensemble. In, in the physical example, it's like you're given an ensemble of particles. They don't have meaning until they have arrangement. And like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, th- this is kind of one of those paradoxes about even about living organisms, right? It's like a huge, like, how do, how do, how do living beings even... Like, how are they animate? Like, yeah, how do they exist? How does yeah. life even come to be? If right. it seems to violate uh, our, our known laws of, of entropy, I guess, right? Like the sort of... We sec- can decrease entropy locally. Well, that's the that's thing, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's kind of the thing. We had to kind of fine-tune our understanding a little bit more mm-hmm. to see that we actually increase our entropy locally. No, we decrease. No, sorry, yeah, but globally, sorry. Yeah, we, yeah. Yeah, I meant yeah, the yeah. inverse, I'm sorry. Yeah, like yeah. humans love to decrease our entropy locally. Yeah. Which you almost like, how is this even, how is that even possible? Yeah. Because I think everything else in the universe is not animate, increases entropy. Yeah. I believe. Please put a big giant asterisk, <laughs> asterisk on that because I haven't yeah. thought of all the scenarios. Mm-hmm. Entropy is so deep. We should do a whole podcast <laughs> on that. We really should. Oh, we actually, that surprises me. I don't think we have. I don't think we have either. I think it's because it's one of these things, it's like in the realm of like, uh, principle of lease action entropy yeah it's like one of these things where i try i've been avoiding it for so long because it's so deep and i yeah. really it's like probably one of the hardest it's one of the it's in the regime of one of the harder concepts for me to be able to really understand yeah it bleeds I, yeah but this this bleeds into um it, this shannon entropy or this idea of like how information is, give, give, is given meaning in certain contexts and whatnot and, and mm-hmm. there's there's a lot more there how, how meaning is contextualized and all this other stuff. It gets into uh, the quantum realm. And I guess you could say the von Neumann one is a little bit more uh, fundamental because it fundamentally is a quantum mechanical uh, one. And I'll go ahead and show a video here that, that uh good old PBS space time did a couple right. weeks ago now. So they're, they're able, they have the big budgets for the, the infographics. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> I think somebody said this. the guy's name was Matt, by the way. Matt? Yeah, I think we called him yeah. Mark or something. Oh, in the last well, shout episode. out to Matt. He's, yeah, yeah. he's great. Him and his team are great. Yeah, he's uh, um, he's killing the game. Yeah, but fundamentally, the von Neumann relation, um, or von Neumann entropy, is really if entropy is for information, that's really the source of how we manage quantum information. And and I'll go ahead and put a, a uh, uh, an equation up here of what the von Neumann entropy is. Mm. It's the it's the limit as n approaches infinity of like the number of states, um, or the entropy is equal to the number of states and the quantum system um, over the number of trials. So sort of like on the top, it's the number of qubits in your system, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and isn't it the logarithm? Yeah, I think there's a logarithm involved, but this is coupled in another term. But I'll go ahead and show okay. the simple like image of it. Sure, in sure. In case you want to look at the physics of it. It'll be right. Um, it'll be right in the middle here. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's this is basically the root of quantum information. This is where it all begins. Right. And this is where von Neumann that kind of credited to be the the sort of founding father of this in some sense right right um seeing this connection um so so yeah let's so so to to elucidate on this a little bit more we're going to go to uh the pbs space time video they did on quantum entanglement and how you get entropy 
mm. from this. Okay. So then why was it called entropy and not like von Neumtropy or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think von Neumann, von Neumann told him, told Shannon, don't call it Shannon information, call it Shannon entropy. He was the one who mm. kind of told him directly to do it. So it's like kind of weird that... Um, entropy is a cool ass name. It is. I don't even. That's know one of those things, like you know, we were talking about the unlockable characters back in the with the QFT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like these big physics concepts. You're like, yeah. I got to get to that. Yeah. That was one of those for me for sure. And I still, I'm like, oh, I see why I never learned about this because it's just too complicated for me. It's very deep. It's not. I don't think it's given a fair treatment. We um, really need to do a podcast on. I need. Yeah. I need to just man up and just <laughs> really research the hell out of entropy because yeah. this is like so overdue. Yeah, and I mean, like, look, this doesn't even touch on all the. I haven't even gotten to the the actual, like... Yeah, entropy is so deep. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, like, even all the stuff with, like... Uh, how would you say, like... All the stuff with uh, the modern uh, quantum computational stuff. Right. Like, th- there's just so much to say about quantum information and how we're kind of, like, learning about it. Um Mm-hmm. You know, in 1973, like, there's a, phys- I think it was a physicist or a computer scientist, uh, Bennett, um, last name Bennett was, uh, kind of demonstrated that you can make a universal Turing machine reversible mm. for any computation, which is a required step in the design of a quantum computer because you want to have unitary operations. You want to have reversible operations and stuff. Um, or unitary straight transformations, so state transformations, so you can go back and forth between, you know, the, mm-hmm. the states. Anyway, um, and there was another uh, scientist, Benioff, not to be confused with the the Game of Thrones writers. Uh, <laughs> I'm not aware. Benioff, yeah, he he, he who shall not be named anymore <laughs> because they destroyed a brand, a beautiful brand. But you got to give him credit for. Five good seasons or something? Yeah, five, at least five. Yeah, at least in my opinion, five. that's pretty damn good. Yeah, we'll never talk about the other seasons after <laughs> that. But Benioff developed uh, Hamiltonian models for computer systems or classical computer systems. Mm. Um, but yeah, but it was uh, actually David Deutsch. Sounds familiar? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I don't it know does. Who that is, David though. Deutsch is actually kind of the founding, uh, the founding father. This was 1985, 1989. They characterized the essential features of a universal quantum computer and formulated the first genuinely quantum algorithm. Mm. Yeah. David Deutsch. Gotcha. So that's why his name sounds familiar. Yeah. Me too. I I was like, what? David Deutsch? Yeah, it's like a name you hear in passing, but then you never hear it again. Yeah. Yeah. So you can thank David Deutsch for, for, uh, for essentially sort of making quantum computers even relevant to be. Right. Um, putting it on the map beyond the proof of concept like right yeah it's uh yeah so deutsch laid down the foundations of like quantum logic gates and quantum networks and all that um you mm. have like different quantum algorithms that come from that uh for performing like computational tasks yep um more efficiently obviously than classical algorithms more in fam- some cases yeah but more but more most famously being shor's algorithm yes and this yeah. is like Somebody asked us to do an episode on Shor's algorithm. Well, someone actually asked us to do an episode on Grover's algorithm. Oh, okay, okay. But I figured, you know, if we would do an episode on Grover's, when we might as well do one on Shor's, <laughs> right? It's like, obviously. Um, but yeah, maybe we can do that one yeah. day. So for the audience, like, 
Shor's the thing is Shor's algorithm. Like that's another term that I kind of get thrown around. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, it's it deals fundamentally with like prime factorization, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's like. A, uh, do you remember much about this? Yeah, so Shor's algorithm is basically, like you said, it's prime factorization. So one of the schemes that we use for RSA encryption and just, I guess, some of the major cryptographic um, schemes that we have for, like, banking information and, like, you know, uh, HTTPS, things like that, um, they they can use uh, uh, primes, primes, really large primes, as a way to... Um, uh, uh, what would you call it as a way to um, secure information of some type mm-hmm. and it's like you have to know the prime factors of that really large number to be able to crack those keys mm-hmm. and Shor's algorithm should be able to crack those keys in you know in a reasonable amount of time whereas right now it's like some kind of crazy exponential time that's you know in the order of the age of the universe if you did it did a kind of um, classical brute force yeah. kind of method using classical computers, but with quantum computers, you should be able to crack it, you know, and you know, in significantly less time, apparently. Yeah, and it, it's just the it's the simple prime factors of a positive integer, like n equals p and q, like two different numbers. That, yeah, and I mean it, the Shor's algorithm is like huge because it could essentially break our our whole like sort of information security infrastructure, right? Right. Like you can hack into like government databases because you can just brute force the password with the quantum, quantum computers. Yeah. yeah, banking. But I think they've they've said that there's some um, regimes of quantum mechanics. I don't really know this for sure because I haven't researched it, but there's some new leading edge stuff like that have more security against um, Shor's algorithm. Like I know there's like elliptic curve fitting, which is another method that's used mm-hmm. to... Um, encode or 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 uh, mm-hmm. protect information um and then there's you know even larger schemes mm-hmm. for rsa that maybe would overwhelm a quantum computer i'm not really sure but there are methods i believe that are devised to be quantum proof potentially yeah. i'm not sure though so you're gonna have to look at look that up um, but they're definitely working on it for sure yeah just insane stuff yeah just like th- this this and this is kind of the thing. This is, like I was saying, a modern working field. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly developing new concepts by studying the foundations of quantum mechanics. Right. Like you're studying entanglement more. Like, you know, we're pushing the limits on how you can get things to superposition, the number of particles you right. can get in superposition. Like, we're testing limits right mm-hmm. now. Of our, of our Which is why it's so yeah. hard to say what the applications are going to be potentially because yeah. it's like it just keeps going, right? Yeah. When you crack major areas of fields like this, then just like you get a you get a, a waterfall of applications that mm-hmm. you haven't seen before. Yeah. So this this is why it makes this is this is a this is a field that I think mo- mo- a lot of people don't talk about. Um, what quantum information. Like I've never I seen wouldn't it. Say that I I don't think it's advertised. There's tons of YouTube videos on quantum computers. They they are, but think about we we went through the whole rigmarole. Like at at no point did anybody ever say anything about like. Oh, in school. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no. E- even yeah, no. like just now, as I was leaving, as we were, as I was leaving grad school, they they started. They're going to offer a quantum uh, information class. Right. Yeah, like, everything I learned about quantum information was on my own. Yeah. 
like the whole delayed choice quantum race we never even mentioned that and i'm like yeah. that's so much that's such a like to me such an important experiment that i yeah. can't believe i've never heard of yeah. until like literally like a few weeks ago yeah but that's the thing these are foundational i think these these are important foundational aspects of quantum mechanics that we obviously need more uh how would you say attention maybe yeah. um the shut up and calculate method has kind of failed in giving well, it's not failed entirely. Not failed but, for sure. But it's it's Very giving it, it's it it has some util it has a lot of utility. But there is the aspect of like let's sit down and contemplate. Yeah, yeah. The whole you were, right. I think you said that. Right. That's my answer. That's my response to shut up and calculate. <laughs> Slow down and contemplate. Yeah. <laughs> because it, we do need to sit down and, th and think about these yeah. things a little bit more. Um, but shout out to PBS Spacetime. They actually do a great job of making great content. That is, um, that that kind of like pushes the envelope on this stuff a mm -hmm. little bit, right? Mm -hmm. um, on the the sit down and contemplate thing, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so let, yeah, let's let's go ahead and play this. This this has a lot to unpack. So go ahead and make sure that uh, we are set up here. So here we go. It's very it's not obvious what makes it so fundamental. A system's entropy is what we call an emergent property, and the second law seems to be an emergent law. Emergent properties and laws arise from the statistical behavior of large numbers of particles. For example, a room full of air has a temperature, which is a measure of the average energy of motion of all the individual air molecules. But a single air molecule doesn't have a temperature, at least not in the same way. Instead, that molecule has a velocity and a mass and so on, which define how it bounces off the walls or other particles, giving rise to what we perceive as temperature, and giving rise to the laws of thermodynamics. So, and there is indeed a type of entropy that applies to quantum systems, like our air molecule. It's von Neumann entropy. And understanding it may help us understand not just the second law, but also the arrow of time, and how the large-scale world emerges from the quantum world in the first place. Now, before we dive into that, let's review our more familiar definitions of entropy. Ludwig Boltzmann recast entropy in terms of the number of configurations of particles that give the same set of crude thermodynamic properties. For example, there are more configurations of particles in which energy is perfectly mixed than if energy is concentrated in one spot, like in our piston chamber. Systems will tend towards the more common configurations, hence entropy increases. Here we start to see the connection between entropy and information. If all the air is in the corner of the room, for example, then you know more about the positions of the individual particles, they're all in the corner of the room, versus if they're spread through the room. But it took the invention of information theory to really see the connection between information and entropy. It was Claude Shannon who founded the field of information theory and also invented the entropy of information, Shannon entropy. Shannon entropy can be thought of as the amount of hidden information in a system, or more precisely, the amount of information we can hope to gain by making a measurement of the system. If all the particles are bunched up in the corner, then measuring their exact positions gets you some information, but if you measure the positions when they're spread through the room, you increase your information by a lot more. Another way to think about Shannon entropy is in terms of events. The more possible outcomes of an event, the more entropy the event has. For example, a flipped coin is a low Shannon entropy event because it only has two outcomes, while flipping a million coins is a high entropy event. Shannon entropy is actually more fundamental than thermodynamic entropy in that it is a generalization of the more familiar entropy. 
It applies to. Does that, let's unpack that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so, because the Shannon entropy has to do with information theory. And we mm -hmm. keep coming to the answer that information is somehow more fundamental to like quantum mechanics. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it's it, it definitely does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I like the illustration there. That that's kind of like a good way to think about the complexities, I guess, that go into it. Mm -hmm. Any system of information and any type of action that reveals that information. When he first came up with this theory, though, Shannon didn't fully realize its importance. As the perhaps apocryphal origin story goes, he only started calling his invention entropy after talking to the great Hungarian mathematician and physicist John von Neumann. Supposedly, von Neumann said that he should call it entropy for two reasons. One, it looks exactly like the equation for thermodynamic entropy, and two, nobody knows what entropy is, so nobody would argue with him. But von Neumann probably knew perfectly well that Shannon's entropy was the real deal. One, because von Neumann was a savant-level genius who had outmathed and outphysicsed many of the greatest minds of the last century. And two, because of part one, von Neumann had already invented his own brand of entropy, von Neumann entropy. It's the entropy of quantum systems. And because everything else is made of quantum systems, it may be the most fundamental definition of entropy. Even Shannon entropy is just a special case of von Neumann entropy, at least, so says von Neumann himself. The concept of von Neumann entropy is Balls. at least incredibly... Yeah. That's interesting. So he's saying the quantum version of entropy is more fundamental. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, if you think about it, right? If it's like... Because, like, I mean, if statistical mechanics kind of orders the way, you know, how particles of ensembles come, come together, yeah. in some way, the von Neumann... Uh, example of quantum mechanics kind of tells us about how everything else emerges. Okay, so maybe I misunderstood what the definition of Shannon entropy was because I was thinking that his was more fundamental than the von Neumann entropy. How so? Because I was thinking the von Neumann one was quantum, which it is. It is. But yeah. then I was thinking that that lower than quantum would be information theory somehow. But it seems more like statistical. Uh, well, Shannon, statistical. No, the thing is, they they are. Well, the funny thing is that they're they're almost completely analogous. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they don't look any different, really. Right, but I think the fundamental comes within the um, qualitative interpretation of them. Right, yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, entropy, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I can't really speak with confidence on entropy. <laughs> so, we'll let, let, yeah, let's... Yeah, we'll let Matt uh, take it away. <laughs> ...powerful. It's at the heart of quantum information theory, enabling us to calculate how much quantum information is contained in a system and it can also be used to determine how many bits of classical information we can get out of the system when we make a measurement. But perhaps the most interesting, von Neumann entropy tells us the amount of entanglement in a system. In fact, it's driven by entanglement, this mysterious connection between quantum particles that Einstein called spooky action at a distance. As a bit of a spoiler, von Neumann entropy seems to reveal that the evolution of entanglement connections is what drives the second law of thermodynamics. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. To get a glimmer of understanding of what von Neumann entropy is about, let's think about information in quantum mechanics. Here is a counterintuitive thing about superposition. After you flip the quantum coin, you actually do know its current unrevealed state. That's because its state is entirely defined by its superposition wave function. It is in a pure state of 50% heads and 50% tails. This is subtly different to the state of a classical coin, 
which is either heads or tails with a 50% chance of each. That superposition really represents the coin's current reality from your perspective. But if you have full knowledge of the unrevealed coin's current state, then there is no hidden information, which means its entropy, in this case its von Neumann entropy, is zero. Observing the coin doesn't reveal new information about that unrevealed state, rather it changes the quantum state in a random way, now 100% heads or 100% tails, but the information about which way it would go wasn't hidden in the unrevealed wave function. This is very different from the result of flipping a regular coin which is entirely heads or tails before you reveal it. That information is embedded in its wave function, it just isn't known to you. So the regular coin's entropy, in this case it's Shannon entropy, is positive. In case superposition wasn't weird enough, let's bring in quantum entanglement. That means we need a second coin. It's spookily connected to the first, in that when both coins are flipped, they have to land opposite to each other. After the flip, we say that the flip results are entangled. They are correlated. Even though we don't know the individual results, if we reveal one, we'll immediately know the result of the other. So, you flip your pair of entangled quantum coins. There are two ways that they can turn out. Either the first coin lands tails and the second heads, or vice versa. Before they're revealed, they exist in a superposition of states. Both possibilities exist simultaneously. The unrevealed wave function is like this, which means 50% heads tails and 50% tails heads. The von Neumann entropy of that entire wave function is still zero because the combined wave function of the two coins holds all the information about their current state. But what if we consider only a single coin? Because of the entanglement, the part of the wave function corresponding to a single coin does not contain all the information about the coin's state. Its von Neumann entropy is no longer zero. Information is hidden. It's hidden in the part of the wave function corresponding to its entangled partner. And this is where we can connect von Neumann entropy to all of the other forms of entropy and glimpse the real origin of the second law. When viewed with its entangled partner, the coin exhibits quantum weirdness like superposition, and that could be revealed in experiments like a Bell test, which we covered previously. But treated individually, each separate entangled quantum coin behaves kind of like a regular classical coin. For example, it doesn't by itself exist in a pure superposition of states. That superposition only appears when you include its entangled partner. It's in what? Yeah, th there's a... I think this kind of has to do a little bit with like the, the sort of... When you think about hidden variables... Mm -hmm. Einstein had this idea that like hidden very like the idea of even saying hidden variables that means that there's hidden information right sure yeah right yeah. like because I mean really at the crux of it you are trying to measure some you're, you're saying there's some other thing that we're missing there's some other information right. that we're not getting right but the von Neumann entropy formula I guess looking at it in this kind of like foundational aspect it's saying um Again, I guess pointing to that being a feature of quantum mechanics as mm -hmm. opposed to like a a thing that's... An incomplete part an, of the yeah, theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is the problem with intuition, where Einstein <laughs> got misled because his intuition was so good in the classical regime. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, slightly extended with the relativity. Um, although, it's a, I feel like relativity is a little bit more graspable with intuition. Because you can almost visualize these things once you get it tuned up. 
Um, right, because you're thinking about how fast things are moving, and it's yeah. Like, and then you're like, okay, I can think of contraction, I can think of time dilation in some kind of sense, right? And then you can just shift to relativistic frameworks. It's still tough, but you can almost visualize it. I mean, he had a basis for it. Yeah, you know the Galilean stuff, right? Galilean transformations. But yeah. then quantum mechanics is like you can't even really visualize that. Like, what? How the hell do you see superpositions? How the hell do you see entanglement? Like. It's tough. Like, yeah. I don't know if you can even visualize that. You he, can't visualize a Hilbert space, right? No. So, it makes sense. Like, Einstein, is a, he's, a, he's an intuition guy, and he's relied on it so heavily because that was his strength. Mm. When you're trying to go to quantum mechanics, it breaks that whole way of thinking. Yeah. So, I understand completely why Einstein would have those objections because this is quantum mechanics is basically a shut up and calculate um, regime of physics. Right. <laughs> you need the math. Yeah. Or else you're not going to understand. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't blame him, but it it, did, I, it feels like kind of like when when people are saying like you know there's no hidden variables, there's no hidden information, kind of mm-hmm. like a they're taking shots at Einstein a little. Right. <laughs> but he's. I mean, I but Einstein's objections were actually some of the most critical pieces to no, really I mean, shedding light on how weird quantum mechanics really is, yeah. and then really strengthening it. Yeah. To show that this is really what the fundamentals of reality are. Yeah. I kind of wanted to uh, go to this like view of pure and mixed states because that's something that does come up. Um, mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, I'm going to say the timestamp here is 1050, 10:45. But All it right. says pure versus mixed quantum states. Pure quantum state is a state which can be described by a single wave function. A mixed quantum state is a t- statistical ensemble of pure states. Okay. So I guess it's just a linear combination of wave functions or something? Or I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I guess like the quantum the pure quantum states are the ones that you see typically in in the in the sort of coin examples, right? That's a pure quantum okay. state. It's like zero or one kind of binaries almost. But then again, I think multiple particles are still described by a single wave function. Well, that's the mixed quantum state. Because now oh, like, you have an ensemble. But like, I think they're a, still all one-wave function in some Yeah, sense. they can be. I think they, they have to be. No, they're represented, I guess, because you can apply as, as uh, them as linear combinations, right, like mm. you're saying. So, yeah. Maybe. Let's put a big asterisk on that. I think a mixed quantum state <laughs> is is the combination of of pure states. Okay. Okay, let's You let's could say, say it. it. <laughs> I'll say maybe. Okay, cool. What we call a mixed state. Heads or tails, not heads and tails. And just like the regular classical coin, it has non-zero entropy. This similarity between the classical coin and the entangled but isolated quantum coin is no coincidence. Its entanglement is the first step in the transition between the quantum and the classical world. Our capacity to observe quantum effects like superposition depends on being able to access the entire wave function. With one partner coin in entanglement, that becomes more difficult. But as a quantum object interacts with the countless particles of a macroscopic environment, and those particles interact with each other, the web of entanglement grows so quickly that it soon becomes impossible to access the entire wave function. We call this process decoherence. It's how the ordinary macroscopic world emerges from its very weird quantum pieces. Looking at it this way, our classical coin is just like our isolated entangled coin. Except now, we don't have a simple entanglement between two coins. The entanglement is between the coin's countless constituent quantum parts and every particle they've ever interacted with. 
that network of entanglement is in the superposition of states, heads and tails, but you can't ever access it, in part because you're part of that network. You've already become entangled with the coin and live in the slice of the wave function, the mixed state, where the coin is either heads or tails. The propagation of entanglement leads to our experience of the very unquantum macroscopic world, but it also drives the growth of entropy. Information about the detailed quantum states of all the particles becomes increasingly inaccessible, leaving only crude observable properties. For example, thermodynamic properties like temperature. We call these properties that are preserved through this diffusion of entanglement pointer states in the language of quantum Darwinism. Over time, systems move towards a state of maximum entanglement, at which point most information is hidden and the systems are describable by the fewest properties. For example, when a system equalizes to a single temperature. So there you have it. Growth of entanglement drives both the second law of thermodynamics and the emergence of the classical world from the quantum. And as an extra trick, it also defines the arrow of time, which itself points in the direction of increasing entropy and multiplying entanglement, as of course we've discussed. But there's a lot more to talk about because von Neumann's insights lead us to a picture of reality that is more informational than physical. <laughs> Mind blown. Care to explain? I was zoning a little bit. Matt, mind freak with Matt from PBS. <laughs> mind freak. Now that's a throwback. Yeah. <laughs> Truly, PBS Space Time should just have Matt be the mind mind freak. Just have him as like a what's his name? Chris Angel. Yeah. <laughs> he's the he's the Chris Angel of physics. Right. About to blow your minds, people. <laughs> no, the uh, the revelation of. Uh, this again, this sort of how quantum entanglement um, that's kind of the foundation of all this, the, the information theoretic kind of point of view um, and how it gives rise to the classical kind of world. The decoherence is something that I think that that you see a lot in quantum computing because we kind of become more familiar with like a quantum state kind of coming out of the quantum state it's said to be to start becoming entangled with the its environment in some way and so you can think about these phase factors in the quantum system they start they pretty much start i guess phasing out in some way okay so in this decoherence picture what matt was saying was that you couple or the quantum system comp couples with its environment and other uh, like other constituents of the environment mm -hmm. and as this ensemble or this mixed states increases or so like it couples with the other quantum systems it's like a runaway effect yeah okay so you start then you start creating bigger and bigger systems which then start bleeding into now, now that you have how would you say he, he puts it in a language of information but if you go back and, and kind of dissect that, he's saying it bleeds into um, having higher entropy overall. Mm. And if we talk, if, if we're thinking about information, then this means like there there is a there's sort of like it's a continuum. Like you go from von Neumann entropy or von Neumann information to Shannon information. Mm -hmm. Th there is it, it's it's a sort of grayscale. It's not like 
a clear maybe there's a certain threshold maybe there's a certain number mm-hmm. of particles where the ensemble kind of or the mixed state becomes um you start getting decoherence you start going into a classical kind of state and you start getting classical information mm, okay you know what i mean yeah i see fascinating stuff yeah very interesting <laughs> i feel like i got a lot of reading to do <laughs> um i didn't know we were gonna be talking about entropy Dude, I mean, this, I mean, yeah, it, it, but I mean, like, truthfully, so this is kind of, I mean, this is all the physics foundation stuff. I think after that, it's engineering, math, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and maybe computer science, would you say? Sure, yeah. 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 Um, but the technical aspects are still fascinating. Like, we still have, uh, I think you, you, there's like, you were talking about a, a certain YouTuber that had, was going to go through a list of... Well, it was just what we were talking about earlier with super dense coding protocol. I had a video with Michael Nielsen who has a, just an example of the Alice and Bob experiment. Mm. I think it's a lot better than the one <laughs> that you show with the scarf guy. Okay, cool. Whatever his name may be. <laughs> I'll, put, I'll put that one in here just just so y'all, y'all can see that in parallel. Yeah. Or just make sure that that's included in the video. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, the... Um, no, about the supercomputers, about the quantum computers, sorry. Oh, what about them? No, just the different types, I guess. Oh, well, I want to save that for another video. Gotcha. Because this was kind of the theoretical side. Yeah. Albeit, I don't really know how <laughs> <laughs> how tangible it's going to be, yeah. which I suspected, which is why I've been avoiding it for so long. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> quantum information is just a hard thing to tackle. I feel like mm-hmm. I need multiple days of study for this one, but... Needless to say, I think um, I would like to do a video more on the experimental side of like what kind of quantum computers are out there, and you know, and the hardware involved, um, maybe even the software involved as well, because uh, mm-hmm. it's just most people don't really talk about that. You always hear these videos talking about the qubit itself and explaining the theoretical side of things, but nobody really, a lot of people don't talk about the um, experimental side that much. Yeah. True. Yeah. So we'll, we'll definitely get to those, and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about some of the sort of bigger, how would you say, not bigger concepts, but bigger points um, in quantum information. Yeah. Um, you know, talk about accessible information, information compression in quantum mechanics, although that's more mathematical stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, entanglement-assisted communication, like how you can get, kind of dive into those things the the computation aspect I think we definitely want to get into because that's mm-hmm. definitely the more um, more applicable stuff and then uh, quantum foundations and that that's probably going to be the last video of the series just reflecting on the foundations of quantum mechanics mm. um, kind of diving into where we're making a lot of plans next. right now I am <laughs> but it's definitely something I've been wanting to tackle for some time um but yeah, weird. hopefully hopefully you've gotten some kind of background. I mean, we went through von Neumann entropy, um, you know, a little bit about information uh, that we can cover in like about an hour um, and the relevant history leading up to it. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get into more detail uh, in some other episode in future. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's the table sliding. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were about to be invaded by aliens. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah, hopefully the audience won't hear the... I don't think they'll hear the audience. <laughs> no, hopefully not. But anyway, folks, thank you for listening. 
Uh, Indeed. Don't forget to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you haven't already and mm-hmm. do all our socials. Check out eigenbros.com, eigenbros on Instagram, eigenbros on Twitter, eigenbros2 on TikTok. And then thank you guys, patrons, once again. We appreciate you so much. You know, if you want to become a patron as well, just check out patreon.com slash eigenbros for a 30-minute audio podcast every week. And then you can also check out the Discord. We, you know, chat it up a couple, you know, every every once in a while. And uh, that's it, I think. Yeah, that's it. And we'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. All right. See ya. See ya.